0: Well, tonight we're in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, Danny, pass out some Bibles if anyone didn't have any, will you? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you don't have a Bible, Danny will get you one. Um, we're going through it, and uh, this is, uh, we're only going to do nine verses tonight, so I'll uh, get you out of here in a reasonable hour. Um, but it, it's going to be a, a fun uh, nine verses. This is one of uh, my favorite passages when I do couples conferences. Uh, I really enjoy this. So we're going to take a look at it. I actually put it up on the screen. Um, So we're going to begin. I'll read its entirety, and then we'll take a look at it, break it down. It says, now concerning the things which you wrote uh, to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And the word touch means, uh, well, I'll get into it in a little bit. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive, or another way to describe it is do not defraud one another, except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you uh, because of your lack of self-control, or actually it's in. Uh, The interpretation of self-control is incontinence. I thought that was funny. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as myself. As you know, Paul was uh, single. I'll explain that momentarily. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and the other in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control let them marry for it is better to marry than to pyro burn with passion. And so we're only going to cover those nine verses because it's a lot to deal with. And you guys are going to giggle a lot tonight, I hope, because I'm a little uncomfortable. Every time I teach on this, I get uncomfortable. So would you join me as I pray? And (laughs) Lord, thank you for your word. And we thank you just for the great insights that you've given us into the intimacy of, of man and woman and how you've designed it and I just ask your blessing on this evening Is you've created mankind for relationship. And it's not good that man would be alone. The only thing that was not good in the Garden of Eden, that man was alone. And so you made helpmates and you intended that we would dwell together in unity. And you gave us this wonderful gift of, of the sexual relationship that's an expression of intimacy, both physical, emotional, spiritual. And so, Lord, we, we celebrate that. We thank you for it. And um, Lord, give us insight, and I pray that you would help us to see in a world that seems to have convoluted all of this, exactly what you intended, and we ask this in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So just the first two verses uh, now concerning the things which uh, you wrote to me. So really what you have is, the Apostle Paul had gotten letters uh, from the church at Corinth, and you know that he's written this, and he's in Ephesus right now in prison, and just to refresh those of you who are new, Corinth is a city that uh, we visited, my wife and I have. It is a, a city at the time that was inundated with sexual immorality. They worshiped the goddess Aphrodite. A thousand temple prostitutes would come down, uh, ply their trade. It was, um, it was a trade route, and uh, they would come down and ply their trade. But it wasn't just these itinerant traveling prostitutes, they were the wives and the daughters of the citizens because they would take the money that they earned, they would get a portion of it, but the rest would go to the upkeep of the temple. And so this was the world in which they lived. Sex was a commodity. It was, it was also worshiped. Um, it's it's kind of like what mankind does. Anything that we can't conquer or get control over, we turn it into a god or a goddess. Instead of being an alcoholic, you just create a god named Bacchus in the Roman era, and now you worship the god Bacchus. If you have problem with pornography, you have problem with sexual addiction. It's not a problem. Just worship the goddess Aphrodite, uh, and you can go down the list. If you're angry and you like to fight and you want to be uh, in the uh, the MMA ring, uh, that's not a bad thing. You're just you're you're worshiping the goddess Mars. Uh, you're you're a warrior. And so you go through these different aspects, and instead of, you know, bringing self-control and operating in the way in which God intended you, these things that easily beset you that you're driven by and drawn to, you just simply turn them into a god or a goddess. And this is the situation with Corinth. Corinth is dealing with sexual immorality, deviance in a myriad of ways. As we've covered in previous chapters, even in the church itself, this brand new church that Paul had discipled for a year and a half even in the church, Paul is saying, you know, I've heard it said that the man is, uh, a man is sleeping with his mother's, excuse me, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. So they, they were messed up. And so they're looking at it and they're saying, how do we get a control on this church? How do we get it in line with everything we know about Levitical law? How do we get it in line with everything we know about what God intends in the relationship? What we've read in Genesis, what do we do? And they wrote to Paul letters, and they said, okay, uh, you've defined the problem, now give us the solution. Uh, Are are these the things we're supposed to do? And so they go down this whole legalistic thing, and you had had ascetics where they they would refrain from any type of of physical desire, almost like a stoic. Um, I am just going to remain absent for the rest of my life. I'm not going to have any sexual thoughts. I am just going to be um, a robot. And and they were thinking, sex has got to be bad. So we have to just remove this altogether because it's created so much problems in our culture and in our community. Let's just remove it altogether. And they start to ask Paul these questions. So he says, now concerning the things which you wrote to me. So he says, let me respond to what you've written. Now, we don't have the original letter that they wrote to Paul, but we do have his response. And he says, first of all, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, you, you were all concerned about... A man touching, you know, a woman and all this. Yeah, okay, I agree with you. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. He says, nevertheless, I mean, it's good to abstain if you're not married. if, If you have that ability, if this is something that's important, that's great. However, because of sexual immorality, Let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. The idea is, God gave us the sexual relationship as an expression of intimacy that is accomplished by emotional and spiritual connection, as we talk about, and we have in the past, this trichotomy of man. Uh, the scripture says the soma, psyche, and pneuma in the Greek, which means body, soul, and spirit. And you connect on those three levels. You find someone physically attractive, and that's the soma, the body, and then the, the, the psyche, the intellect. You enjoy each other's conversations and mind, and you have everything in common. But the pneuma is the third connection point. And that's a spirit of God where you, you have his blessing. He's brought you together as he brought Eve to Adam, and the two became one flesh. He gave them their blessing. He even said in all of creation, the only thing that wasn't good in the Garden of Eden was that man was alone. We're created for relationship. We're created for relationship. And in that relationship, you know, uh, my wife and I used to enjoy a movie uh, when we used to have clear play called Just Friends. I wouldn't encourage you to watch it now because it's R-rated. We used to think it was hilarious. We'd recommend it to people and they go, it's awful. Oh, we forgot. We have clear play. Uh, So don't go watch that. But the idea is a man has a problem just being a friend with a woman, He's always thinking other things, and uh <laughs> that is so not yes, it is true. Um, and And so what Paul's saying is if if you have that ability, then exercise it. If you don't, let each man have his own wife. I mean, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Go look, go, get out there, work on it and And some of us were really, really lucky, hit the lottery i I am surprised I did so well. So, but Paul told me to, and I went out, and, and that's, and you know what, my, my wife, I don't know if you know this, but she was a raging alcoholic, uh, and after she'd come off of a three-day drunk, the first thing she said was, I married who? <laughs> first of all, my wife wasn't a raging alcoholic, and that was a complete joke, and nobody laughed, and my, my marriage is now in jeopardy. <laughs> You're going to have to work with me, because I'm already uncomfortable. No, uh, you're drawn and, and you know, I, M- Michelle, I was drawn by her beauty and, and by her laughter. Um, I, I imagine she was drawn by my humor that I could make her laugh. And the, the coolest thing, 28 years of marriage, she still laughs. I mean, she was probably the only one in the room at the time that I said that was laughing, but she probably didn't appreciate it. So she's not laughing. But that's, that's the kind of thing is, is why did God create marriage? People say, well, it was for procreation. Well, no, you can procreate without marriage, right? I <laughs> mean, hello. Uh, he created marriage for sex. No, you can do sex without marriage. Why did he create marriage? He created marriage to cure the aloneness of man. It's, you know, it's just not fun watching a sunset by yourself sometimes. It's like, this is so, be- there's just nobody here to enjoy this with me. There's times where you want to just be with somebody. You want to experience life. We've been created with this this void. And you get lonely. And that's that is the way we've been created. Now, obviously, God suffices that loneliness as we have a relationship with him. And and if people have that gift of singleness, that they have that relationship, they they don't need this you know to to use another human being to suffice us they have this gift of singleness so be it but I, I i don't know many men that have been given that and you go through life and you look at these things and 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 the lord created us for relationship it's not good that man should be alone and then it goes on to say uh my friend the companion of my youth and so the person you marry is your best friend you know, the Bible says that, that God caused Adam to sleep and then the, the Lord fashioned out of a bone. We believe it was from the middle section, not the head, so that she he would rule over her or the foot, that he uh, she would rule over him, but from the side that they'd walk together. That's that Hebrew mindset. And he fashions this woman and, and brings them together. And he called her woman, which, is, as I've said before, is a Hebrew idiom for... <laughs> just, that's her. Woman, is what he said. He said just like that. her. And, and, and as the Lord creates this and brings the woman to the man, the two become one flesh. And the idea is they were naked and unashamed. They go through life together knowing all the faults, all the failures, all the weaknesses. But your love is safe with me. I'm not going to talk about you in the locker room. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk smack about you to somebody else. You know, I'm not going to use the secrets that you've shared with me in a fight and, and, and tell other people to really hurt you deep. And if you have, stop it and ask for forgiveness, right? And that's the idea of it. And, and, and the Lord says, let it, each man have his own wife, own meaning one, and let each woman have her own husband, not husbands, plural. Husband and wife for life. He says uh, in verse 3, let the husband render to the wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband, and this is fascinating to me uh the word uh render um is is uh, well it'd be conjugal duty did, did you all get that I can go a little more explicit if you'd like conjugal duty and and it and it comes with this concept of especially when it says uh it is not good for a, it, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. The word "touch" in the in in verse one, the word "touch" is haptom uh, um, mahe, which in the Greek just simply means very clearly intimacy, intercourse. It's not touch. It's not like you um, um, man's not allowed to touch a woman. That's a violation. That you can't. The idea is it's 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 not an, a sexual expression. It says, not good that you would touch in a sexual way. Intercourse is the, is the concept. Intimate sexual touch. But then he says, it is okay to have, it's important that the husband render uh, to the wife, to his wife, the affection due her. Now, look at that word affection. You see it, affection? And, and notice the contrast. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Also the wife to her husband. Affection is this idea of tender conjugal duty. But the word affection is kind of left out. Uh, it, it's just assumed, but, but going to, to, the, to the man uh, that the wife is to extend this, but doesn't add this idea of affection. Men, men appreciate tenderness, but for them it's different than it is for women in some respects. And so Paul emphasizes it in relation to the wife, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Uh, and and the, the word for due means you have, um, you, you have a, um, a legal duty. You're bound by contract. Did you get that? So the marriage bed isn't a place where you can go, you know what, I'm upset with you, forget it. That didn't go over real well. It, you, you don't use a marriage bed as a battleground. You know, the, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And Phyllis Diller says, yeah, stay up and fight. <laughs> you want to resolve this before you go to bed. Otherwise, you're not going to sleep. Well, the guy usually does, but most of the time, you're not going to sleep. And, and when it says to render to his wife the affection due her, this, this legal Requirement in regards to the marriage and also likewise uh, the wife to her husband. And then look at this, verse four. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And, and the guys are reading that going, oh, I like this passage, where is it? Do I need to? Or is this a memory verse on Sunday? Are we going to get this in here? This should be one of the topics there. Woman, I want my body, Bring it. Well, just let's not forget here. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And and I this picture's in my head, and I, I it it's been there a long time. Especially the first time I did a marriage conference, I keep keep thinking of the passage. You know. The position in bed that the husband and wife, um, no, no, not consummate. I'm not going there, Brett. What's wrong with you? That's not even what I was thinking. The position in bed that you assume when you're married is backs facing each other opposite direction because you've been married a while and you know that bad breath is awful, right? And then you're breathing the air that you've already inhaled and let's just sleep. Facing away from you. Good night, good night, love. And that's kind of what you do. Maybe some of you don't. Maybe you're just, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and as you're laying there, the, the man is laying in bed and he's thinking to himself. <laughs> and, and so his amorous act is to take that big toe with the fungally nail and reach that over there and just kind of rub his wife's calf. She's like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, is this, really? This is, this is tenderness? This is affection do?" And that nasty, I'm just throwing that out there because this is a picture in my head. If you don't like it, go get a bun cake. So as, as this is happening, the wife thinks, okay, I know what he wants. And this is, I I mean, and and she's, she's, she's dressed for the evening. I mean, she's, she's got her flannels on that are 10, 15 years old because they're comfy, right? Uh, (laughs) Nobody's following me here. I thought it was, and, 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 and as, and he's thinking, what's the problem here? You know, I mean, come on, I'm working this. And he he's thinking, this is exhausting. <laughs> Tom, I'll do the comedy, remember? And then she 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 lays in bed thinking, okay, all right. So she rolls over to find him sound asleep. This is this is this picture where where's the intimacy come in with all all of life's problems you've got your your children you've got the bills you've got early mornings you've got work you've got late hours you've got all these things and yet somewhere in the course of life and, and this is what's fascinating when I talk to young couples getting ready to get married you know, they just, they can't keep their hands off each other. They're looking at each other, especially when I'm doing a wedding. They're not even listening to me. I'm like, and they're just, and they're just, and I feel so dumb. And everyone's kind of looking at me going, oh, this is a lovely, oh, look at them. And I'm invisible, absolutely invisible. And then you may kiss kiss the bride. They're like, oh, good. Finally, this (laughs) thing and then off they go. And, uh, So, in, in in this in this picture where you see them, they're they're so excited, and and especially if they've been waiting, and and they have, they've they've been chase chase. They, they just they're waiting, and they and they think, boy, when I'm married, sex is gonna be. And let's just let's put it into perspective here. Um, you get married. You're married fifty years, twenty four hours in a day. 365 days in a year times 24 hours in a day. Can anyone do the math real quick? <laughs> and then multiply that by 50 years. And you got a lot of time. And then let's look at the sexual experience. Even if this isn't the, I mean, what what plays into the sexual experience, not the big toe thing, but let's just, what plays into it. The, the entire expanse of it from beginning to end with, you know, I- intimate gestures and then consummation and then goodnight kiss. What what's the time frame? And, and some of the guys are going 30 minutes. Some of the women, three minutes. Uh, now we're getting graphic. But but you, let's just go with really a liberal 30 minutes. Every night of the week, that's, stop, come on, you're killing me. So this is, this is two and a half hours. And some of the folks who want a Bible say it is, you have to understand how this works. Two and a half hours, two and a half hours a week times, well, three to two hours and yeah, yeah. Two and a half, three hours a week. What are you going to do with the rest of your time? That life is, where, and, and here's the thing, life invades even the the, the minis, minuscule hours you already practice. And, and then, then your bodies change after the first child is born. Michelle's goes back, mine stayed the same, I didn't deliver. Because, <laughs> you know, in pregnancy, I'm eating all the food she can't, but she's starving, so I'm just doing her a favor, and just <laughs> a third trimester, and hers, and me, no, it doesn't, I... And and you go through life, and then job changes, and and health changes, and and where does the affection come in? Is it just simply a sexual act? And, And why is Paul saying that we are to render to each other this tender affection? Why is the passage so emphatic? And why does he say that the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does? And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Well, first of all, if you want it to be intimacy then you need to know the other person. And, and I've, I've said this often, I, I, a homosexual relationship is easy. It's easy, and I'll tell you why. For me to understand another man is not hard. I, I know exactly how that man thinks, I know exactly what he likes, I know how he communicates, I know everything about a man, because I am a man. My wife, on the other hand, don't know what planet she came from. Seriously, it's the planet of lots of words that are not necessary from my world. And, and I, I don't understand why she's so emotional. I cannot fathom this. And I don't know why she finds two-year-old child artwork so fascinating when I think my kids are troubled. Troubled. I, I don't I don't understand this. And on her planet, when she looks at this species, this species does not communicate clearly. They don't use any words, they use grunts. They they they're they're thoughtless. They're very just matter-of-fact. There's nothing tender about them. They smell not good. They seldom Bathe. I'm just making generalizations, and you can add what you want. But for me to understand my wife, let me tell you something. Oh, let's reverse this, because for my wife to understand me, she has to she has to die to herself. And and I remember our first I remember our first year of marriage. We had to go in and sit with a pastor because I I was just cruel. I mean, I wasn't mean. I wasn't abusive. I just I don't understand why you're so upset. I, I can't. I can't understand why you don't understand why we have a man living in the back of our house in the shed, who doesn't even use the restroom in our house and goes down to the YMCA. He's homeless. Yeah, okay. I travel a lot with my job, and I'm gone. But you need to have faith. God's going to protect us, and I trust Him. I've known Him. You haven't, but you have to trust me. I don't understand why you're not talking. And and could you just tell me what the problem is so I can fix it? You just cry a lot. It took me a while to realize she doesn't want me to fix the problem. She wants me just to love her. Listen. And, And she's actually communicating things that are very important for me to understand in a way I would never grasp them had God not given her to me. That's one of the reasons why the scripture says a man's prayers will be hindered if he doesn't have a right relationship with his wife. Because quite honestly, the answer to your prayer is coming through the wisdom of your wife. And you're not listening. Woman, you'll shut up, do as you're told and like it. And if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. First of all, nowhere in the scriptures do you have the right to say anything like that. And I'll tell you right now. Yes, Ephesians says, wives, submit to your husbands unto the Lord. If there's a man in the room who says to his wife, "Wife, submit. I have news for you. You are a very weak and pathetic human being. And you can take it up with me later if you think I've insulted you. It's a mutual submission. The Bible says submitting to one another in the fear of God. And you know why she's submitting to you? Not because you're amazingly perfect. She's submitting to you because she is already in love with a perfect man. That's Jesus. And he said, would you do this? And she's saying, for you, yes, I will. And the idea is... When you walk together in mutual submission to the Lord and you extend to each other tender affection, you know where the tender affection comes from? Spiritual and emotional intimacy. And then you get to the affection part. You're listening. You know what the greatest sexual organ you possess is? Your brain. And when your heart is touched, it's touched through your mind. And you start to share these thoughts and you start to have commonality and you start to realize in this connection point and you just, boom, all three levels connect. And God says, I give this to you as an expression of it. And you go, wow, let's, let's, let's tender to one another. The affection do the word for affection, which is interesting. And when it says come together by consent later in, in verse five, the idea is symphony. It's a symphony. You know what a symphony is? Everyone's in tune. It's, it's, a, it's a symphony. And it's life. You've talked through the issues with the kids. You've talked through the, the work changes. You've talked through uh, the, the, the insults you received at work. You, you talk through the friends that have betrayed you. You, you. you talk through the difficulties of ministry. You talk, whatever it is, you're working through it. And you, you've, been, you, you've hurt somebody. You don't understand. You start to learn powerful words that create affection. Powerful words that create affection. You start to understand these words. They're amazing. I'm going to give them to you. Pay attention. Get ready to write them down. Powerful words that create affection. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. Really amazing words for intimacy. And then all of a sudden you realize this is a special person. And you are humble, you are sweet. And 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 all of a sudden, you just you start to melt. And what, what ends up happening is the woman and the man, the man starts saying, you know what? This this doesn't really this really doesn't trip or trigger. I mean that fungally big toe. Sweetie you wanna you wanna go out for a cup of coffee and talk? And I'll tell you at least for me, what's really sexually attractive for my wife is when I'm vacuuming. That's a turn on. He's like, so I knew, <laughs> threw that out there. <clears throat> so you, you, you start to understand what moves somebody else. You know why? Because it's not about you. The Bible says if a man wants to gain his life, he must lose it. You see, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This agape, you lay down your life. No Greater love has no man than this, and to lay down his life for a friend. Christ died that we might live. So he gives us this unconditional love. He dies for us, pays a penalty for our sin. And what's the response? He's on the cross, he's bleeding, he's pouring out this holy blood of God. He is a sacrificial lamb, slain for the foundation of the world, messianic. The Lamb of God is prophesied in Isaiah 53. Here he is. He's bleeding out. And all the world looks at him and goes, ah, <laughs> whatever. Well, he's given agape love. He's laid his life down, hoping that we would respond. The Bible says that men are the priests of the home. We set that thermo- their thermostat. We're, we set that spiritual temperature of the home by the way we're tender. And in doing this, all of a sudden, as Christ laid his life down, people were moved by it. And what was the response? God, you gave me your life, I give you mine. And the byproduct of agape and agape is phileo, which means a mutual love. And it says it in, in Philippians 2, having, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you, having the same mind, being of like mind, having the same love, being of like mind. And the byproduct is, you know, as I've said this before, When when you've been married and you have this, you can start a sentence, the other person can finish it. Um, Michelle closes her eyes, I go to sleep. The two become one flesh. I, I can tell, as I've said thousands of times, I can tell, crowded room, Michelle on her birthday, opening up gifts, I can tell by movement of her eye whether she loves it or hates it and no one in the room will have a clue. She's my best friend. And so, this is that idea of intimacy. How, how, where did I get that? Long hours, listening, A- after I've spent longer hours being stubborn and yelling. The intimacy comes when you die, and I don't mean physically killing each other, I mean you yield, you surrender. You know why why is it that you see in in Christian churches and and in and in synagogues people raising their hands why in the old testament they raise their hands it's it's a mutual it's an international sign of surrender God I surrender I I want whatever you want I'm doing whatever you're doing you're you're calling the shots I have I have no weapon no agenda I'm here and that's the idea is you surrender and and this this idea of symphony comes together symphonos which is 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 you just you come together and it's a symphony every Every instrument is in tune, but you must understand that you don't have authority over your own body. Your spouse does. Now you you can, you can pay money and have authority over someone else's body. And for a price, they'll extend that to you. However, there's no intimacy. Money can buy sex, but not love. It can buy a bed, but not sleep. It can buy a a house, but not a home. You want intimacy? The idea is you give your life away. And you need to understand the other human being, what's important to them. And, and there are going to be times where, you know, I don't want to do this, but this is important to you, so it's important to me. And, and there are other times where, well, they're being a little pushy. And there are times where you can say, you know, you're being pushy with my body. Do you get that? And you can have that conversation. There are things I want you to understand with my body. And then they'll say, Well, there's things I want you to understand about my body. You're you're trying to understand one another, gaining mutual understanding. I hope that helps. Any questions? Don't ask them now. (laughs) Do not deprive one another. Do not deprive one another. So, when should sex be given in a marriage? All right, let's go back. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another. When should sex be given in a marriage? When asked for. When should it not be given? When the other person doesn't want it. Now you're going, oh, I don't like this verse anymore. We don't need to memorize it, Pastor. The idea is you don't deprive one another, but if you're going to deprive the other person, here's the only area that it's allowed. Ready? And it has to be with with consent. Consent means mutual agreement. And it's only for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control and continence. The idea is... If you're going to say no, you better not be eating and you better be praying. Because if you're not connected, let's figure out what's going on here. And if the other person, I'm struggling with you. I don't know why you're asking and what's going on in your head. I'm wondering what's this fueled by. I need to pray over this. Okay. I want to fast about this. I don't have a peace about this. And so, verse 6, Paul says, but I say this. And it's interesting. It's, it's But I say this. The context is, but I say this next thing. As a concession, not as a commandment. This next thing I'm about to say, I'm saying it as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. The idea is, I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them to remain even as I am. But if, it can, if they cannot exercise this self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. This is the bottom line. What was the Apostle Paul he was married. We know that he was married. He couldn't have been a Sanhedrin. Yeah. He couldn't have been a Sanhedrin, which he was, without being married. That's that's Levitical law. And he says, it, and it's laid out, that there's grounds for divorce. Abandonment of marriage by non-believing spouse, which is exactly what Paul's wife did when he went off to go kill Christians, and on the road to Damascus, he was struck off a horse and saw an image of the Lord, and he was ready to, he G- G- Gamaliel and and all the others he had trained under him, he was going to be the, the chief, chief uh, Pharisee, the head Pharisee. And, and the likelihood is, and Paul never said this, the likelihood is his wife left and said, look, I, I am not doing this Christian wacko thing you had a future, and he spoke multiple languages. He had what would be considered multiple degrees, very intelligent, and she said, we were on the fast track to the success of the entire community, and you have abandoned it for this stupidity, and you're being kicked through the streets like a soccer ball, traveling out through all these strange towns. I don't want anything to do with it. And Paul said, okay. Now, we don't know how that occurred, but he points out, he says, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing if I were married, uh, my uh, I was going to well, my, my nephew Sam, Navy SEAL, and, and his wife, that takes a special wife. He may not be coming home. I remember my my dad when he go on tours of Vietnam. We didn't know if he was coming home. I remember wearing the bracelets. I remember many of the pilots never came home in the hometown in which I live. A military wife is a Proverbs 31 woman. She, she keeps the house in order by authority in the absence of her own husband. That That's the rendition in the, in the Hebrew mindset of, of Proverbs 31. And she keeps an orderly house in, in absolute authority in the absence of her husband. And And yet... That requires a really my mom it, a military wife is hard, and you really are raising children on your own in the absolute two two years he'd be gone at times, he'd be back for a season and then he'd be gone again. And and in case of the apostle Paul, he's saying I couldn't do what I'm doing if I were married. It wouldn't be fair to my wife and my kids. And you know what? We wouldn't have the writings we had we wouldn't have and we wouldn't have the churches that were planted and Christianity really wouldn't have traveled into, into Europe had it not been for the apostle Paul. And he he just said I I could not do this if I were married. If you could be like me. And let me tell you what that means. Paul comes in to Corinth for a year and a half single. Having been married previously, understanding intimacy The man who said, those things that I don't want to do, those I do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do those. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He begins his his ministry by saying, I'm a sinner. Second Timothy, his last epistle letter, he writes, I'm the chief of sinners. He's in Corinth for a year and a half, a thousand temple prostitutes coming down, and here's a single man in the city. And he's saying, it's good for them to remain even as I am. I'm celibate. And let me, let me tell you something. Not easy. But my calling supersedes my desire. Now that is a unique gift given to very few. And you think, well, that's why the priests in the Catholic church don't marry. No, no. No, I wish that were the case. You can be a minister and still marry the husband of one wife. The scriptures go through it. Look at Timothy and Titus, all the pastoral epistles. I'm allowed to marry. The reason why priests don't marry is, is simple. They, they did not want nepotism. The Catholic church was becoming extremely rich and was just being passed down one to the other. And, and it was going to the son. And they said, you can't have any children. We, if you're going to serve in the ministry, that it ends. You've got to be dedicated to God, not to the wealth of your family. And it was almost like this Levitical priesthood that you can't own anything. So you can be a minister, still be married. If you can be single, that's great. But Paul just said, this is my opinion. It's my opinion, and that's what I think. It's not a commandment. Not a commandment. So that's why I'm married. This is, um, this is how a woman operates sexually. This is how a man operates sexually, in case you were wondering. So if you want to render to the wife the affection due and render to the husband the same, you want to know how they operate, men are simple, just on-off switch. Okay. Women. Um, yeah, almost enough dials. But that's, that's the idea. And, and, and I got news for you. You can't operate the bottom Without the top operating, and you can't operate the top without the bottom operating. They gotta work together. And when you have all the dials tuned in and the powers there, symphony. Symphony. I wanna walk you through this because I like it. This is instruction and advice for the young bride on the conduct and procedure of the intimate and personal relationships of the marriage state for the greater spiritual sanctity. Of this blessed sacrament in the glory of God. It's by Ruth Smithers, beloved wife of the Reverend L. D. Smithers, pastor of the Arcadian Methodist Church of the Eastern Regional Conference, published in the year of our Lord, 1894, Spiritual Guidance Press, New York City. True book, you can find it. And she's telling the young bride how to prepare for the sexual relationship when you're married. And she is the pastor's wife and 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 of the beloved, the beloved Reverend L. D. Smithers. And so let's see what she has to say. Uh, advice for the young bride. The sensitive young woman who has had the benefits of proper upbringing, the wedding day is ironically both the happiest and most terrifying day of her life. On the positive side, there is the wedding itself in which the bride is the central attraction in a beautiful and inspiring ceremony, symbolizing her triumph and securing a male to provide for all of her needs for the rest of her life. And on the negative side, there is the wedding night during which the bride must pay the piper, so to speak, by facing the terrible experience of sex. At this point, dear reader, let me concede one shocking truth. Some young women actually anticipate the wedding night ordeal with curiosity and pleasure. Beware such an attitude. A selfish and sensual husband can easily take advantage of such a bride. One cardinal rule of marriage should never be forgotten. Give little, give seldom, and above all, give grudgingly. Otherwise, what could have been a proper marriage could become an orgy of sexual lust. (laughs) Oh, she's wonderful. On the other hand, the bride's terror need not be extreme while sex is at best revolting and at worst rather painful. (laughs) It has to be endured and has by women since the beginning of time and is compensated for by the monogamous home and by the children produced through it. It is useless in most cases for the bride to prevail upon the groom to forego the sexual initiation while the ideal husband would be one who would approach his bride only at her request and only for the purpose of begetting offspring. Such nobility and unselfishness cannot be expected from most men. Most men, if not denied, would demand sex almost every day. The wise bride will permit a maximum of two brief sexual experiences weekly during the first months of marriage. As time goes by, she should make every effort to reduce this frequency. Feign illness, sleepiness, headaches are among the wife's best friends in this matter. Arguments, nagging, scolding, and bickering also prove very effective if used in the late evening about an hour before the husband would normally commence his seduction. Clever wives are ever on the alert for new and better methods of denying and discouraging amorous overtures of the husband. A good wife should, does this sound like 1 Corinthians 7? I don't think so. A good wife should expect to have reduced sexual contacts to once a week by the end of the first year of marriage and to once a month by the end of the fifth year of marriage. By their 10th anniversary, many wives have managed to complete their childbearing and have achieved the ultimate goal of terminating all sexual contacts with the husband. By this time, she can depend upon his love for the children and social pressures to hold the husband to the home, just as she would be ever alert to keep the quantity of sex as low as possible. The wise bride will pay equal attention uh, attention to limiting the kind of degree of sexual contacts. Almost finished, most men are by nature rather perverted and give If give half chance uh, would engage in quite a variety of most revolting practices. These include, among others, performing a normal act of... uh, Okay, we'll skip that. A wise bride will make it the goal never to allow her husband to see her unclothed body, never allow him to display his unclothed body to her. Sex, when it can be prevented, should be practiced only in total darkness. Many women have found it useful to have thick cotton nightgowns for themselves and pajamas for their husbands. These should be donned in separate rooms, and they need not be removed during sex, and thus a minimum of flesh is exposed i'll get it to that later uh, isn't that interesting that is that is the, that's, that was the mindset um, but then we went through the sexual revolution right and 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 the legalism went away, and we just opened up pandora 's box and Now we're trying to put all the pieces back together. What is intimacy? And why is everybody so distant? Why are we struggling? And I was gonna share this, but that's not appropriate. So we'll come here. Um, I wanna share this with you. This is a hundred year old old man can't let go of his dying wife's hand after 77 years of marriage. You wanna talk about uh, intimacy. um, Extending the affection due. Rendering the affection due. You know, if it's all about sex, Sex doesn't hold a marriage or a relationship together. 88% of Americans say they are happy or reasonably content with their marriage. Uh, married sex. Three quarters report that their sex lives are reasonably fulfilling. That's according to a national poll of 1,000 married couples uh, commissioned by uh, Parade Magazine. And researching his brain, her, her brain, how... Uh, design differences can strengthen your marriage. I found stunning research that shows sex is better in marriage, sex is better among religious and spiritual couples, sex is not better if you cohabitate. Uh, The movies, sitcoms have it all wrong. They're spreading the urban legend that sex is best when when you have plenty of it with plenty of partners. But one of the best kept secrets in America is that the best sex is not found in singles bars or on university campuses not even romantic hideaways of ski lodges or beach resorts. The best sex is not sex in the city or sex cabades. Nope, the most satisfying sex in America is in the bedrooms of people who are married for life. Don't believe it? Check out the data yourself. In a survey published by the University of Chicago, the findings regarding the typical American sex life are rather astounding. Uh, To summarize the overall pattern, American adults fall roughly into three levels of activity in partnered sex. They are either having sex with their partner at least two or more times a week, a few times a month, or only a few times a year, or not at all. Only in the latter and most sexually boring category, no sex or sex only a few times per year, do non-married adults rate higher than their married counterparts. In other words, married couples have sex far more frequently than single or cohabitating adults, but even more surprising is the following fact. Uh, Yeah, the most dangerous myth of all may be the myth that living together before marriage will result in a better marriage. As a result, in the past 30 years, the number of couples who live together before marriage has increased a thousand percent. In fact, cohabitation has become so commonplace in our society that a couple who does not live together before tying the knot is in many areas of uh, a cultural anomaly. So why should a couple defy the societal norm by avoiding cohabitation? There are many important reasons. Um, Perhaps the most devastating reason, according to Dr. Goodell, uh, Goodell, is this. Of eight couples that live together before marriage, four of them will split up and they will not marry. Of the four that marry, three of them will divorce. Sex is better among religious and spiritual couples. That's right. This same study found that the more religious a married couple, the more frequent and satisfying their sex. They connect uh, physically, uh, intellectually, and spiritually Religious people who are married by far and away have the best sex lives. They have the most frequent sex, the most satisfying, the most fun, and the longest uh, lived sex lives. When the researchers looked at which religious denominations had the best sex, they learned that the faithful who were uh, married reported that not only was their sex more frequent, but also uh, were far more likely to rate their sex as being extremely satisfying. Conservative, evangelical, Protestant women, the survey found, reported the most satisfying, on and on. I won't go into it because it's a little graphic Um, but the point is this, why? It's because you render the affection due. You realize it's not my body, it's yours. And I want to understand you because I've been commanded to. It's not about me and the one who depicts our faith laid their life down. And what ends up happening is you you start to see this person through the eyes of the Lord. You realize all their little nuances and quirks. And you start to understand why. Because you've endeavored and you've longed to gain understanding. And you've talked. And you haven't let the sun go down on your anger. And you've applied these truths. And you endeavor with one another you forgive. Strong, strong biblical emphasis on forgiveness. You apologize. You humble, your side in the, uh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He lifts you up. You lay down your life. You serve one another. Christ did not come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. That, all of a sudden, it changes the whole paradigm And then you see this 100-year-old man can't let go of his dying wife's hand after 77 years of marriage. I have news for you. That is rendering the affection due. For those of you who think it's all about sex, this is affection. This is what happens in life when you're getting ready to step before your creator and you said, I've been faithful to provide and love this person for life. I haven't used them. I haven't abused them. I've loved them as you've loved me, Lord. It's titled, My Grandma, 96, With My Grandpa 100 Hours Before Her Death This Weekend. 77 years of marriage. And in it, you can see an elderly man refusing to let go of his wife's hand during their final moments. This is another one. I love this one. Hospital makes exception, allows couple married 68 years be together in the same room. Tom, 96, Ernestine Clark, 92, haven't been apart since the Korean War. They were told they'd have to stay in separate rooms during a recent hospital stay, and Tom said he just can't be away from her. She's the finest woman in the world. Look at his face. He just loves her. You get to the end of your life, and you want to know that you've loved and you've been loved, and He who does not know God does not know love. Uh, Back, 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 sorry. He who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. Let me repeat that, 1 John 4, 8. He who does not know love does not know God, for God is love. The one thing that's missing in our culture is love. We think love is, what can I get? No, that's sex. Sex is, what can I get? Love is, what can I give? Now, we jumped the gun a little bit, but I'll show it to you. A lot of you remember Easter Sunday a few years back. It was right after my mom had died. Uh, she she had lung cancer. And my dad had uh, Alzheimer's disease for 15 years. He died a year and a half ago. Actually, August will be two years. And in the very end stages of Alzheimer's disease, not speaking anymore, my mom with a mask on her face, um pumping oxygen, and uh, she would be dead in three hours from this video you're about to see. We didn't know whether or not we'd bring dad from the home to see my mom. They'd been married 57 years, only had been apart in the times in Vietnam. And I I brought my, I didn't do it, but my siblings brought my dad into the hospital room. And we didn't know what dad was going to do. This is a man who doesn't talk. So crank the volume if you would and let's lower the lights. Here we go. My dad starts kissing my mom's mask. And my mom had said the thing I miss about my father, about Alzheimer's, was his humor. My dad, my, my mom says. I love you. My dad says I love you. My, my mom says I'm going to heaven, Roy. And my dad says. I'll raise you. <laughs> so she got to see his humor again. It was like a gift okay, from I the Lord. Can, I think Mom's gonna win. I'm And they go, "I'm getting out of here." And then he just Too many he just walked out. Fifty-seven years of marriage knew her face even behind a big mask. Now there's there's nothing. Nothing sexually exciting about that. If that's what your world is, but that's rendering the affection due. You know what that is? That's called intimacy. Sex is what can I get? Love is what can I give? Paul laid it out. He gave you a really clear precept. We can dismiss it and just go back to the world of, you know, going from one place to the next, just trying to find whatever it is you're looking for. But you wait on the Lord and cultivate that relationship. Then you learn to love another human being. And what's interesting is, yes, my wife and I, God has given us marriage. And she's my best friend, and that is a gift from the Lord. Now, what the Lord has done for both of us is because we understand what we've received from God and have given to each other. It makes us better in the community to minister to other people. And and oftentimes, I remember Michelle, when we were first married and I was in ministry, she'd say, you have time and patience for everyone but me. And I thought, you know what? I would have better time and patience with other people if I spent more time and patience with you. I've told you the story where you know, when I travel, I just like to travel alone, like the Apostle Paul. I don't have to worry about nothing. I know what I, you know, I know. And just it's travel light, and you gather your own food. We're hunters. Let's go. Come on. But when you travel with your wife, it requires more. Can you get the blanket out of the overhead? Because, and then I need to use the restroom. Oh, okay. Let me just go to use the restroom. And then, as the plane's landing. You know, instead of going, to use her, she'd wait till we land. Then she goes, "Well, the cuts are cleaner in the airports." I'm like, "Oh, I didn't know that because I never." You know, I'm just fighting through. I want to get ahead of the crowd, get the bags, get in the car, go. And and I used to get so frustrated. I'm looking, going, "Gosh, hurry we up?" And then the Lord said to me one day when I was uptight, He just said, "Why are you so frustrated?" It just spoke to my heart. I said, "Cause." She's, she's slowing me down. Rob, yes, Lord. When she travels with you, spiritually, how is it for you? And you have struggles. You have all kinds of, you know, laying awake at night and, you know, spiritual difficulties. Mm -hmm. When when she's not with me, I do. And when she's with you, it's it's really wonderful. But that's just when we're at the hotel. And and I actually do better at the conferences and things, yeah, Lord. Well, can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. You're not the principal here. You thought you're oh you're the guy speaking at the conference. Mm-mm. I can use a recorder and do a better job than you. She's laying down the spiritual effect. She prays for you. She's your covering. She's a blessing, Rob. She's not slowing you down you're adversely affecting her ministry. And I want you to know something. She's primary, you're secondary. You have now taken on a title. Yes, Lord, what is that? You are now Michelle's travel assistant. All of a sudden, I realized... Life is so much easier. It's, fun. It's, it's just a change of perspective. She's not slowing me down. I am so thrilled you're here. I'm your travel assistant. I don't always get it right, but I'm her I'm travel assistant. I would love to get that for you. Oh, of course I'll do that. And, and really, my heart changes. It changes the Lord. How does that work? Because you come to understand each other, you work through it. You go through life together. And when you go through life together, you end up being in a place where you're holding hands. 77 years of marriage you just don't want to be apart you have everything you've done together in life, it's good